you start talking about maybe it's not a, a return on investment, but it's a return on impact, right? We start creating really robust, strong communities where we're, we're not trying to convince, we're, we're inviting them to such a privilege to, to be part of the solution of, of what these amazing nonprofits have already been pioneering. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I am joined by Vance Rausch. He's the CEO and founder of Overflow, an organization that's trying to streamline and reduce the friction required to give back stock or non-cash assets to charities and to help them enable their growth. Now, that's what Overflow does, but this conversation goes way beyond that. We dive into the nuances of how our relationship with money really informs how well we're able to engage others in charitable giving and how as those that are trying to activate, not convince others, us understanding these concepts are more important than ever. But also, how do you build a community and a spirit of generosity in your communications and in your fundraising strategies. Vance is a wealth of knowledge and someone that I'm so grateful I got to spend time with and I'm thankful that we get to bring that conversation to you now. So let's dive in. So Vance, it's not every day people wake up and are like, you know what I want to do today? I want to make giving frictionless. I want to make this idea of inspiring people to give more easier. So before we dig into like how you're doing that and what you're doing and the specifics of that, I want to understand like what sparked that in your story. I love that. Thank, thanks, Noah. And first of all, th- thanks for having me. Uh, we got tuned into your podcast recently and we've been enjoying it uh, here at Overflow. But that's a great question. Uh, you're right. I don't think you know everybody wakes up <laughs> in the morning and and is thinking about ways through technology we can make generosity frictionless. And really, the the story and the origin of that in my life uh, came from when my wife and I got got together. Uh, we got married almost nine years ago now, and when we were about to walk down that aisle, there's a lot of things that we didn't. Uh, agree upon as you do as you come together with somebody, right? But one thing that we identified that we actually did agree upon uh, uh, in a resounding fashion was our conviction around generosity. Something that we kind of made a vow to each other is that we wanted to build a lifestyle of generosity. And it was really centered on our faith. We met at church and uh, a verse that has really spoken to us over the years is Proverbs eleven twenty four. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And we've really grabbed a hold of that first principle in our life and been blown away uh, with just that concept, that principle, that lifestyle of generosity and how when you give, uh, it, it, it actually does enlarge your life, <laughs> right? Uh, when, when you give, not just that you're going to get something back, but you actually connect yourself to something beyond yourself, to something bigger than yourself. And that's what we've experienced in almost a decade now uh, is, you know, being challenged in that lifestyle, uh, you know, trying to be consistent in that lifestyle. We've never been disappointed with, you know, the lifestyle of, of generosity. And it, it's not easy. There, you know, it comes with sacrifice. It comes with, with challenge. And, 
it's something, you know, kind of a, a life mission that we've, we've adopted. And one way we've done that is we've uh, been, you know, blessed to be a part of building a, a church community here in the Bay Area, Vibe Church. And in conjunction with that, uh, most recently building a company around, you know, generosity. And yeah, excited to share more about that and, and just in general, our convictions around it. Yeah, and I appreciate you surfacing that. And like, I, I want to get even transparent. It's Friday. I guess I'm feeling more honest today. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't necessarily grow up in like a household that maybe held on to this idea of generosity. I think they were, my parents were loving. They really cared about uh, my brother and I. But when it came to like the, maybe not values, but like the, the virtues, it was all about like, how do we not, or we don't have enough. That was a common thing, even though wow. I grew up in a middle upper class or it was like, oh, we should have more or we shouldn't do this because we don't have enough or look at them. Right. And I think that has been a really strong attribute in my own life that I've struggled with a lot. And, right. and I think what's interesting is being in the generosity business. And, you know, I've, I knew early on that I wanted to do in the do good business, maybe just as like this, you know, how we rebel against our parents and my rebellion was against like this, like, I need more mentality. And right. so I just ran to the other way. It was like, how do we just like help the world and make right. it more about we collectively instead of me? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's hard because it was so ingrained. So this idea of generosity as like, a value and a principle for me is really hard. And it has to be more of like this daily choice and this intentionality to like cultivate that habit. And so for those listening, I think in that are working in fundraising, they've either had to address this, maybe it was something that was always promoted, or maybe it's something they really struggle with. And I think that relationship with like money and giving really impacts our ability to be effective at fundraising and the work that we do. So as someone that's like, also gone on this journey of just trying to commit to being like generous and here at virtuous like we're huge believers in how do we grow generosity and yes we're doing that through technology but how do we do that in a broader sense how do we do that through these conversations and so what what lessons or maybe pitfalls that you've fallen in that maybe others can avoid around this idea of generosity or as we actually cultivate generosity in others how do we do that how do we do that well that's Man, that, that's such a good question. I think what it comes down to is people's relationship and experience with money, right? You, you mentioned just growing up, maybe how your perspective over time uh, was shaped and how it's changed over time, right? And that's many people's experience with, with money, right? Whether you came from having a lot of it or, you know, having... Uh, you know, a very small amount of it, your perspective is shaped by the people around you and how they view it, right? And so I think, you know, it's that mindset around money. Is 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 money the master of you, <laughs> right? Or Or is money a really good servant that you can utilize, right? And I think money, in my perspective, is a terrible master, and you can tell when it's a terrible master because it starts telling you what you can and cannot do with it, right? It starts telling you, oh, you don't have enough of me to give me, right? Um, you know, th- there's, there's not enough for you to be able to be generous with. And I think, 
you know, regardless of what your bank balance is, that mindset can easily creep in, right? That, that fear mindset, that scarcity mindset. Uh, you know when money is not a master over you when you can give it. And that's my conviction around generosity is that, you know, how can we help people understand that when you give it, it has no control of you anymore. At Overflow, we actually categorize ourselves as a, as a fintech company. And we have a pretty aggressive approach to why we believe we're a fintech company because you see a fintech app being released pretty much every other month now, right? And there's a lot of great ones out there. I think one of the themes that I've seen though with fintech apps in the personal finance space is you know, some of them that are coming out is just trying to categorize your ex- expenses better, right? Especially for millennials, it's not working because all it does is it increases and breeds and cultivates more fear. I've had friends that don't even want to look at their bank account, <laughs> right? Because they're afraid of maybe some disciplines that that they weren't able to keep in terms of, of their budgeting. And I think the fundamental issue is that we're playing defense, right? With our money. We're, 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 we're asking ourselves, okay, how can I save more? And that's not motivating. And so what we're trying to do at Overflow is flip it on its head. Not how much can I save more for myself, but how much can I give to others? And I think that'll fundamentally change your relationship with money and you'll start playing offense instead of defense. A hundred percent. And I think there's no, like, it's not um, a coincidence that for every other month or every personal finance app that comes out, there's also two mindfulness apps that come out. And I think that parallel is probably really <laughs> right. interesting wow. because wow. in some ways we're like trying to wrangle our money and then we have to manage our response to that. Um, and so that's probably why there's an influx of those um, in most of our Instagram feeds or maybe it's that's just right. mine because obviously I have a bad relationship with money supposedly. Um, but either way, <laughs> likewise, I, lo- likewise. <laughs> I love this idea that you're talking about where it's like, how do we actually move money into a place that it's an opportunity for us? It's not overseeing us. And I think that's what I loved about the vision you all have at Overflow. But also, I think what's interesting about this challenge, we've currently been talking about you and I and and, and kind of our personal experiences with us. But in fundraising, all of our donors are telling them a similar or different story than the ones you and I just shared. And it's our job as fundraisers to almost unpack that and understand how we can better guide them through that. And I think the quicker we can pick up on this yeah. as fundraisers, the easier we are going to have the opportunity to relate to that. Or how do we actually infuse in our fundraising empathy that there's this challenge that we have with money? And how are we thinking about our jobs as fundraisers as unlocking or un, uh, basically breaking the handcuffs off of somebody that maybe is being mastered by money and moving that into them using it as an opportunity? And I know you guys are doing this at Overflow. And yeah. so I'd love for you to kind of maybe respond, but then also kind of share how and why Overflow really is helping organizations do this. Yeah, this is a really good question. I think in the faith community, uh, for any listeners that you know overlap with that community, there is a specific opportunity to teach people around first principles of generosity and everything that we're talking about, right? Um, but for organizations that don't necessarily overlap with the faith community, 
those opportunities are not as frequent, <laughs> right? Because in the faith community, you can talk about it, you know, every Sunday, right? Or anytime that you gather. Uh, and during COVID-19, you know, every time you gather online, <laughs> right? Mm. But, you know, with other organizations that don't have frequent gatherings or don't frequently, you know, bring together their active donor base, then you you really have, uh, you know, an opportunity to innovate, right? And, and to teach those first principles. I think one mistake that I might have made early on was to be too focused on trying to convince people to give. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. too focused on trying to persuade them. Right. And I just had to flip my perspective. Right. Um, It's not that I'm trying to persuade people to give. I'm allowing them an opportunity. Right. I get to actually invite them to the privilege to give. Right. Because I know the power of generosity that will be unleashed and unlocked in their life. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, if you're not a faith community that's constantly putting, you know, uh, or getting your your donor base together, ways you can potentially do that is through making sure, you know, we as leaders of these nonprofit organizations are drawing the connections, right? And how we're, you know, an example of that, of how we're doing that in overflow specifically is that our platform is a donation platform that makes stock donations frictionless right so publicly traded stock google stock facebook stock amazon stock that vanguard etf uh we've created the paypal for stock donations essentially um which is cool it's a cool tool but donors are not inspired by the tool they're going to be inspired by how that tool connects with actual impact, right? And so we have this campaign that we're going to launch centered around equity for the inequitable. And a lot of people here in the Silicon Valley where I'm based, they get compensated with corporate stock. If you're a Googler, if you're an Apple employee, if you're a Facebook employee, Amazon employee, part of their compensation comes in this corporate stock that they're granted. And so what's interesting is we have this opportunity to communicate that, wow, you have been fortunate enough, you've been blessed with equity. You've been blessed with these securities, these shares, this stock, right? If you can just share some of those shares, right? If if you would actually release some of that equity to go towards some incredible causes and nonprofits, uh, we can actually move the needle together, right? We can actually together as a community release equity for the inequitable and actually really start seeing fundamental change on some of the societal issues that we're facing, like social injustice, uh, clean water, food insecurity, uh, et cetera. Yeah. And I, and I love that tie in of this, again, bridging the gap between the resources we have as not uh, like ownership over us, but that they're, opportunities to actually invest externally. And I think we've been given an opportunity or maybe a spotlight on ways that we can all do that, especially with, like you mentioned, some of the social injustice and kind of the call for Black Lives Matter, I think is like a big showcase of this. And there's so many other things that are going on in in equities, but we're being called right now, even as communities because of the even the global pandemic that we're dealing with from COVID for That's us right. to step up and say we are together 
and that matters. And it's yes. not going back inward and saying, I matter above others. And I mm-hmm. love your, your, your parallel here where you said there was a switch for you between convincing um, to really like unlocking or activate. I've used the word activate a lot. Yes. Because yes. in some ways it's a posture. Like as fundraisers, if we believe that we are trying to convince someone, how we communicate with our donors, how we ask for money is going to be one way. Right. We realize that the potential and the opportunity already exists. Our role is just to activate that. Wow, that's good. That's it. And really to be yeah. that catalyst that unlocks something and really that's moves right. that into a productive manner um, for the sake of the good that you and your organization are doing in the world we all live in. Yes. The other, the other thing I was thinking about as we were talking is you were talking about how faith communities maybe gather and kind of can reinforce some of these mindsets in their donor base, like just simplifying it around generosity and giving back and whatnot. It's much more than that. I'm not just discounting the faith community. I think there's other ways that organizations are doing that as well. So for example, I was recently interviewing Justin Ellis, um, who's a part of Thompson. So it's a, um, a children's services and and provider of community services in uh, the Uh, Charlotte area in North Carolina. And one thing that they did during uh, the COVID crisis and kind of in response to that was they set aside time and actually helped coordinate with other um, uh, stakeholders in the community, groups where people like business owners could come together and actually talk about how each of them were weathering the storm of COVID Mm. as a community and then how they could get back. Like this is a child services like organization that's trying to serve the needs of their community. And they're helping to organize things that are giving back and saying, how do we start conversations around creating space for our business owners, our corporate leaders, you know, our community leaders to have conversations about how we can weather this together. That has nothing to do with giving to Thompson. It might have downstream, but I love the thinking of going upstream. That's it. Um, I'm a huge fan of, uh, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Oh, Dan Heath. Um, yep. Chip Heath, they wrote, you know, Made to Stick and a few other books. Dan Heath's new book is called Upstream. And he tells this story about how there's two people standing at the, the base of a river. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they see a kid drowning, coming down the river. And they run in and grab him and save him and bring him out. And then all of a sudden there's another kid. They run back in, grab the kid and move out. And all of a sudden, one of the members of the group just starts walking away. And he goes, hey, what are you doing? There's kids in the water. And he goes, I'm going upstream to try to handle the guy who keeps throwing all these kids in. And there's sometimes this thing that we're so focused on pulling the kid out of the water that we forget that there's a reason why kids are falling in the water in the first place. Let's go fix that. And some of this like proactive thinking around how do we cultivate a spirit of generosity in our communities? And, And as nonprofits, we have a community. It's a community yep. of donors and stakeholders yep. that we're trying to connect to a story. Like we can move upstream and start thinking about how we cultivate that. And I think some of the nuances that you mentioned about Overflow's mission is really focused on this as well. And yeah. So I want to kind of dig into that. You know, you talked about this idea of giving equity to inequities and you talked about this opportunity to use our non-cash assets or, you know, our Facebook stocks or Tesla stocks or Disney yeah. stocks, which is unfortunately <laughs> low right now. That's right, right. <laughs> um, I don't have airline stocks, so I'm thankful for that. But either way, <laughs> I should buy some right now. Um, but that's right. We we have an opportunity to use these also as resources. And sometimes, like as fundraisers, we don't necessarily think about that. We think about the 
the cash opportunities. And sometimes we get into like the planned gift opportunities. Like, hey, when you die, you should leave a legacy. Let's yep. chat about that. But talk to me about like the non-cash opportunity here. What's the opportunity for nonprofits? And why is donors actually like why is this a conversation nonprofits should be having with their with their constituents and communities? Yeah, yeah. It's it was interesting. So the origin story of how we stumbled upon this focus and and this wedge for overflow was actually just, you know, because of my own community uh, here in the Silicon Valley and through our church at Vive in the past few years, we had some really faithful givers, super generous people within our community that wanted to start giving through their non-cash assets, primarily, you know, their publicly traded stock, whether it was corporate stock they were granted or they've just been invested in the market you know, through an ETF and they wanted to give kind of from, from that. And a few years ago, I didn't think anything of it. I, I set up a brokerage account for our church and help facilitate these gifts manually uh, with our finance and accounting team and started realizing how inefficient the process actually is. <laughs> it entailed, you know, you know, pages of papers that you had to print out and you had to implore the donor to, to fill out, right? You couldn't really do it on their behalf. They had to fill out some things themselves and had to sign some paperwork. And based on the brokerage, you might have to fax in the paperwork. Some brokerages require you to snail mail the paperwork in. So you could imagine how this would take days, oftentimes weeks, uh, with constant communication uh, across multiple steps between donor and our organization. And so, you know, I had an idea. I wonder if I can create the PayPal for stock donations or the Stripe for stocks. I wonder if I can unlock, you know, unprecedented levels of generosity within this asset class. And so, you know, we started kind of testing it uh, within our own community. And to our surprise, we started realizing as we provided this technology, we increased the amount of transactions. And, you know, to date, through overflow with the partners that we're working with, we've unlocked over you know one point one million dollars worth of stock donations, and you know a, a big belief of ours is because of the reduced friction that we've provided the donor. Uh, ultimately, many of these donors have a heart to give, right? That's why they've engaged in the first place. But when you have too many barriers in place that level of excitement starts to degrade over time. And so if you can capture that excitement uh, at the moment in which they want to engage you with this type of gift, as you might get frictionless, um, you can kind of increase those fulfillment rates and actually encourage these type of gifts across more people in your community. I think largely nonprofits are not engaging in the conversation because they either don't know about it or they know about it and they know it's too hard right? Or there's too much friction. And so really that's what we're laser focused on today is building technology. We're, we're blessed. We, we live in a world, you know, 2020 where, uh, you know, we have the technology in place to be able to make these things frictionless. It doesn't have to be through just paper and pen and, you, and, and snail mail. We can provide efficiencies here. And as we provide efficiencies, we actually, like you said, I love that word, activate we activate the community and inspire the community to give in these ways. You know, what we're seeing on a macro level is that 
more and more people, especially millennials, are starting to diversify their wealth in non-cash assets specifically, right? And so while savings accounts might be going down, like cash savings accounts, uh, people are getting more invested into the market, whether that's how their compensation is or you know, apps like Robinhood enc- encouraging them <laughs> to get into the market uh, as you know a different way to diversify their assets. Outside of more risky propositions like Robinhood, you even have robo-advising fintech apps like Betterment, Wealthfront, Eggcorns, where you know a lot of people's wealth are starting to uh, get into these non-cash assets. And if we can activate that pocket, you know we've been completely overwhelmed by how much more generous people are when we make it easy for them to give from that pocket, if that makes sense. Yeah, it becomes part of that, the categorization and alignment with making smart investment decisions, not in, you know, withdrawing funds. And I think in some ways, a lot of our challenges, and I always say like, if I could, if someone was like, what do you like doing? I'm like, I'm a conceptual designer. So for those listening that, are going to ignore the next segment. I, I totally understand. Um, so I'm just like, I, you have permission, even though you didn't really need that, uh, to ignore this. But this idea of being able to align um, activities within other activities that mirror the type of sentiment that you would want, or even the uh, the aligned emotions that you would want, um, is really important. And when you move it from, okay, I'm withdrawing funds from my account, to give to this, or I'm charging a donation on a credit card, again, not the type of aligned or mirroring right. uh, parts of your thinking as, an, as a, a human that you would want. But if it's like, oh, it's a part of my investment strategy, it's a, it's a piece yes. of my legacy or my long-term yes. thinking portfolio. Like if we just move it from the withdrawal interest, debt, deduction category, and we move it into the investment growth future category, we're aligning philanthropic efforts in the category that we all believe in. And I think that's what I love about this opportunity is that you're moving it and you're aligning it with something that actually aligns with the posture and mindset we want people that are giving the generosity. And as fundraisers, we need to be thinking about this. Yes. We need to be challenging, not asking. We need to be activating, not trying to convince. And yep. these are the types of conversations we need to be having with donors, not at just the major dif- donor level, but through our communications and how we engage. I was, again, going back to Thompson. They talk about giving in a way that's inviting people to invest. And people talk about this for a long time, but they mean it. They position their projects a lot of times and their giving asks as opportunities to invest. They talk about ROI. They talk about path or time to uh, sustainability they talk about these things that align their thinking as they're engaging with the donor as though they're making a business investment or an investment in the future and that enables to unlock a different potential in your donors that's brilliant i i you know you that was so eloquent noah that that's brilliant i think it brings me back to what you were saying earlier around that cultivation around community right and going upstream and when you do that, you start progressing from transactional-based relationships, <laughs> right, with your donors. And as you cultivate this community and you get in the conversation of their portfolio and their investment, and you start talking about maybe it's not a, a return on investment, but it's a return on impact, 
right? We start creating really robust, strong communities where, yeah, you're right. We're, we're not trying to convince. We're, we're inviting them to such a privilege to, to be part of the solution of, of what these amazing nonprofits have already been pioneering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it reminds me of another quote. And I quote this pretty much every podcast episode. For the, So for those loyal <laughs> listeners, um, get used to repetition because I love it. Taylor Shanklin, um, good friend, colleague in the generosity ecosystem, you know, always says that like, without community, you're a commodity. And I think a lot of times nonprofits wow. and our fundraisers are, are giving in to being a commodity by not creating community around something above just giving money. And I think it. it's super important. We've talked a lot about that. I want to get super practical. I know I only have you for a few more minutes, Vance. And so as someone that's hearing this and is like, I totally agree. Like, how do we make this happen? Like, yeah, you're right. Like, I totally get this idea. Like, I have stock. I would want to donate. Like, how do they, how do they even like get started? Or where do you typically see organizations kind of like pulling this in initially? Like, how do they get from zero to one? Yeah, great question. So, you know, Overflow today works directly with nonprofits. And it's so cool because uh, we're developing partnerships with companies like Virtuous, uh, knowing Gabe are, are legends and have been already pioneering this space. But yeah, we work directly with nonprofits to help activate this channel. And it's like I said earlier, we're literally, you know, the PayPal or Stripe for stocks. So, it's as simple as nonprofits placing our button on their website so that they can capture the passive uh, latent demand within their community that's already engaging in their website or on their donate page. Uh, but more powerfully, right, we work directly with nonprofits to strategize the best way to roll out this channel, especially if they haven't developed this channel at all before to their community and to their donor base. Because uh, there's a lot of you know, useful education in this space that can help activate this channel. For example, there's a lot of major tax advantages to giving stock versus cash for certain people's situation, right? And so education around that. This is very aligned with year-end giving campaigns. We did a campaign with one of our clients, Lava May, who's directly tackling uh, the problem of the unhoused in San Francisco and they provide, you know, these mobile hygiene trucks. And especially through COVID-19, they're literally saving lives for people that don't have homes uh, to get them the hygiene and the hospitality and the dignity that they deserve. And we did a campaign with them at the end of December last year, uh, you know, stuff our stockings with stock, <laughs> right? And so, uh, but really, you know, in conjunction with their year-end giving campaign as nonprofit operators and leaders, we all know, you know, is a significant season for us in terms of uh, making sure we're engaging with our donor base and giving them an opportunity to take advantage, you know, of those year-end giving and those tax advantages, um, you know, for, for their portfolio. And so there, there's a lot of ways that we do it, but we try to make it as simple as possible. We provided a tool where you can implement directly on your website. And again, partnering with people like Virtuous to make that super frictionless. And then we do have a team that helps strategize with these nonprofit leaders the best way to roll this out uh, to their community and all the benefits and, you know, uh, all the advantages of, you know, developing this channel. Absolutely. 
I'm excited to continue to work on that partnership and we're excited to roll that out to our virtuous customers um, in the near term. I also think one thing I want to emphasize here is that right now we're seeing reports come out where it's like, man, giving is down, you know, 20%, $1.6 million, 1.6, you know, or some number of millions of jobs in the nonprofit space are gone. Like there's kind of all this data about like, oh, wow, like people are strapped right now. But I do think there's an opportunity that even in times when maybe like we're holding on to liquid assets in a, in a, in a better way, uh, and maybe in a, we don't have the liquidity that we maybe normally do to kind of like unlock and kind of give back to charities, especially in the major donor category, there is still an opportunity to tap into this, um, yes. this function as a way to enable and really do a good service to donors and say, yes, we understand, but there's other ways that you can invest in us and continue to make the impact that you've been having and continue that legacy that you're building around the impact in your portfolio. And that's by giving stocks. And that's something that they may have that they would be willing to give away. And like you said, there are tax advantages to that still. Um, and right. even sometimes in, in an upside for certain types of donors than giving yes. cash. So it's that's something right. to explore, especially right now. I think the next six months are going to be really tough. And I think we have to think strategically about how we continue to steward and provide opportunities for our donors to give back even if that doesn't mean that they can give in the way that they have before through checks. But stocks might be the answer. So maybe we might have some more stuff our stockings with stocks campaigns after this chat, Vance. I think so. I think so. We're excited. (laughs) We're excited for it. And we're, we're really just excited to provide net new opportunities for, you know, some of the highest impact nonprofits on the planet because they are bridging the gap, right? That's what nonprofits do. They bridge the gap between governments and for-profit companies. And that's where nonprofits ex- exist, right? And they tackle some of the most pressing problems that other organizations weren't able to tackle. And they have a superpower in that of philanthropy, right? And our belief in humanity <laughs> to do this collectively, right? And so, you know, we're really pumped about being able to serve and partner with, you know, others that have been pioneering the space. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful to have additional voices um, on this issue. I know I joined Virtuous because I heard this spirit and kind of desire to grow generosity from our founder and CEO here, Gabe Cooper. And I'm grateful to have a continued um, count of voices that are stepping into this space and saying, we need to think about how we can inspire and activate generosity in our communities, not for ourselves and not just for the sake of hitting our funding goals, but ultimately to make an impact in the world that each of us live in. Thanks for your time, Vance. Absolutely. Thanks for having me now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint 
which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. 